You're listening to an audio message from Palm Vista Community Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit palmvista.org. Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the book of Isaiah. Uh, We've entitled that series, Living in the Shadow of Our Great King. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, is about King Jesus, really. It's about God, our King And uh, we're going to take a look at the Holy King, the Shepherd King, Savior King, Ruling King. But it's about us living under the shadow of our great King as we walk in his ways and as we serve him and as we obey him. This morning, this morning's message is entitled God's Restoration Project. God's Restoration Project. And what we're going to do this morning is take a look at three chapters, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. And in these chapters, God references his church as a great house that he has built on his mountain. And that house has been built for a purpose. He's built that house so that he can then draw his people from all the nations to his mountain, to that house, using his people who live in that house. And we are those people. So it's about God's house the way God has built that house and God's purpose to use that house on his mountain as a beacon of light. And then he's going to draw the nations to that house. And those in that house, his people, us, are going to teach the nations God's ways and show them how to walk in his paths. One problem. God's people have corrupted God's house. The book of Isaiah it really is about God's restoration project on his house. It's, it's about God restoring his house. Because like so many of us, God's people have come in and messed up God's house. Uh, they've put in rooms that they shouldn't have put in. They have built whole places at the back of their house, like sometimes we do in Miami. Not under code and certainly never pulling a permit. They've hooked up wiring in those homes that just would make your hair curl. They're just like, what? Not only is it unsafe, it's unsightly, it's ungodly. That's the state of God's house in Isaiah. 700 years earlier in 1400 BC, God brought his people into the land, the promised land. This is my house, my people on my mountain. And now 700 years later, they've corrupted his house. And Isaiah is writing this letter to a people who are about to undergo a serious restoration project. Now, we did a restoration project in our house 11 years ago. Remodeling, whatever you want to call it. You know the first thing you do in a restoration project? You go in and you start knocking things down. You start ripping things up. You start knocking out walls. You start knocking out timber. You start knocking out blocks of cement, which is what we build with. You start pulling out wiring. You open up electrical panels and you go, oh my goodness, this thing is a mess. This is a fire hazard waiting to happen. You start ripping these things out. If you've ever had water damage in your kitchen, all of a sudden you're pulling out the floors. You're pulling out the cabinets. You're pulling out the refrigerator. You're pulling out the stove. And it's a mess. It's a pain in the neck. I remember we did ours in the summer. We literally knocked out one portion of our back wall, and it was hot that summer. 
And man, just that hot, humid South Florida air was just all over the place. There was dust on everything. I think there's still dust in our house from that remodeling 11 years ago. And in the midst of the remodeling that's about to happen, God is about to take his people here in Isaiah out of the land. This is like an exodus in reverse. He's going to take them out and remodel the house, remodel them, restore them. And he writes this letter to encourage them. Because in the midst of a remodeling and a restoration project like that, you can get pretty discouraged. It's a mess. And I believe God has us preach through Isaiah right now to encourage you, my friend. Because we are those same people today. We are his house today, on his mountain today, in Christ Jesus. And God wants to say to you, if I am in that position, that restoration project in your house, where the phase of that project is ripping out walls and knocking down uh, you know, AC vents and pulling out uh, electrical panels, and if you are a little discouraged, and, and these people are about to get big time discouraged, God wants to say, But I have a master plan. I'm the master architect. I'm the one that's going to rebuild and restore and remodel this house to my specifications, to code, to the original drawings. And it's beautiful. So be encouraged. Be encouraged in your marriage. Be encouraged in your parenting. Be encouraged in your jobs. Be encouraged in this church. Today, I love the remodeling and restoration of our home where that wall was knocked out and the hot air poured in for weeks and weeks. That's now a beautiful little extension in the back of our house above it. There's a balcony and and a beautiful door was put in in one of the bedrooms out back is a screened in porch area that I live in back there. But when I was going through it, it was hard and I had to be reminded, where is this going? You know, I would, say, I would say this to you, church. I think this message is for you individually, but it's always for us corporately. Palm Vista was humming along for 15 years. We're 22 years old. For 15 years. And we were fine. We were fine. And then in January of 2012, you remember that time? God said, knock, knock, knock. Hello. The remodelers, the restorers are here. You look behind them, and you're these big, burly guys with mallets and saws and hard hats. All right, we're here to restore. We're like, well, what do you mean restore? It looks fine to me. Um, Did you pull a permit for that extension at Palm Vista? Well, um, I don't know if you know, but that electrical panel is a fire hazard. Oh, Lord. And for 15 years, excuse me, 15 years was great, but for the last seven years... We have been in a major, pardon our dust, we're under reconstruction project at Palm Vista. He's taken whole, you know, extensions. You know, those mother-in-law suites that we put in, you know, for half the price it normally costs because Juanito and Hialeah can do it without a permit, you know. I mean, he did it once before in Cuba. It should be fine. God is saying, boom, gone. That's meant people. Some ministries. Uh, He's pulled out the whole wiring, the whole electrical panel. Like no electricity for a while, no refrigerator, no stove. 
Rafa's out back cooking on a camping you know, thing that he had when he was in ranger school, making hot dogs. And, you know, you're like, this is metaphorically speaking. Lord, what are you doing? But I want to encourage you. God has a master plan for this church that is beautiful, that is to be his people so that he can draw the nations to his people, to his house. And listen, we're still under construction. There's still some places where we're eating off that camping equipment in the backyard, okay? And there's still some ministries that are like, whoa, it's a little rough here. We're still using lanterns at night and, you know, going to the bathroom in buckets. I don't know. Sorry, that's probably a little too graphic. All right, I crossed the line, all right? I got that. But he's, he says, be encouraged, Palm Vista. He's saying it to you individually, but he's, be encouraged. I have a plan. And it's all going to be code. It's going to be beautiful beyond what you could imagine. Because God's house is permanent. Our houses will all be gone one day. He builds it right. And when we go off script and build it wrong, many times he lets us do it. <laughs> knock, knock, knock. Oh, I guess I didn't do that right because I see the big burly guys behind you. See, in Isaiah's time, you know who the reconstruction team was? The Assyrians. 722 BC. They knocked off a whole extension, the 10 northern tribes. The Babylonians who were yet to come. Isaiah's prophesying about them in 586 BC. Knocked down all the walls of Jerusalem and destroyed the first temple. But God is encouraging his people. He's saying, yes, it's coming because I'm going to build according to my code and my plan. But I'm going to encourage you, church. I have the perfect building, the perfect home. I'm going to conform you to my image. And that's today in Christ. So. With that understanding, church, let us take a look at the main point here. In this text, this is what God is saying on the screen. Walk in the light of the Lord, relying on the one who restores us. Walk in the light of the Lord. There's two commands in this text, in these three chapters, two imperatives. One is walk in the light of the Lord in 2.5. The other one is a negative in 2.22. Don't rely or don't regard man. I'm putting it in a positive here. Relying on the one who restores us. I mean, that's the bottom line. I go through the agony, and boy, it's expensive to restore things. It's expensive to remodel. You get sticker shock real fast. But it's worth it. And God paid the price. God paid the price. Point one. Walk in the light of the Lord. If you look at the first couple of verses in chapter 2, please look at it with me. I would like to read those to you. So he's talking to his people, the house of Jacob. That's his church. And he says the following to them. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations. God's always had the nations in his heart. And all the nations shall flow to it and many peoples shall come to it. Listen to what they say when they're coming to it. This is the nations, the peoples. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he, God, may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall descend, decide disputes for many peoples and day, and they shall bear their swords 
They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. In verse 5, our first imperative. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. What does it mean to walk in the light of the Lord? What does it mean to be who we are? To be his house on his mountain. It means two things, church, on the screen. It means that we learn his ways And it means that we walk in his paths. We learn his ways and we walk in his paths. We see that in verse 3. Look at verse 3 again. This is what the nations say when they're coming, when God's drawing them to his house on his mountain. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he, God, may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. God is saying to his people, I am going to teach the nations my ways. I am going to fulfill my promise to Abraham made, made in 2000 BC when, eight, when he said to Abraham and called him into the promised land. Through you, through your seed, I'm going to bless the nations. That promise God made to Abraham, God is saying in 700 BC, I'm fulfilling it through you because for them to learn my ways, they're going to hear it from you. And for them to walk in my paths, they're going to see you walking in my paths. But Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Judah, oh, house of God, you've stopped learning my ways. You've stopped walking in my paths. So I've got to remodel, restore you. He's got to restore you individually so he can restore us corporately so that we can walk in his ways. Excuse me, learn his ways and walk in his paths. Why? Because his plan is still that he's using your life, my life, together in community as his house on that mountain. And he's going to draw the nations, Cuba, Vietnam, Mississippi. That was a joke. To him. And he's going to use us to teach them his ways. And he's going to use our lives, however imperfect they are, to model how do we walk in his past very imperfectly. Stumbling along that path, needing his forgiveness all the time. Man, we were singing, Lord, I need you. We were singing here before communion. God was, I was just crying out, God, I need your mercy. Because after the high of fasting last week, and God gave me an unusual grace to fast and seek his face. I don't know about you, man. I came pummeling, plummeting down from that. Whoo. That was a hard landing for me, man. <laughs> I bumped on the, on, the, on the runway there. But he forgives me. So however imperfectly we walk in his paths, he's using us so that he can then preach his ways and model his ways to the nations. What does that sound like to you? It sounds like what Jesus said 700 years later. It's called the Great Commission. Because God hasn't changed his plan. We are his house. We're on his mountain. His plan is still that the nations would hear the gospel through us and see it walked out through us because we are called to do what? On the screen, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said, I believe that Jesus was thinking of this passage when he preached this. I have no idea. It's sanctified imagination. But certainly the idea of it is exactly what Isaiah is saying here. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And here's the deal, verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. God is restoring Palm Vista. God restores you individually, but it's beyond you. It's not just about you. It's about us. He restores you, yes. He saves you, yes, Marcos. He, he gets my finances in line, yes, Marcos. Why? So I can give to the church. Because it's us. Because God is faithful to himself, to his glory, to his purpose. And he's God. It's going to happen. So no matter how messed up we are, he begins to restore us and he brings us together. And no matter how dysfunctional we might be as a group and how crazy it is to try to get along with one another and all that stuff that we do and organize everything, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Sometimes we feel the restoration project is like, you know, construction on the Palmetto. I mean, that's been going on since I was in high school in the 70s. How in the world can they keep rebuilding this one road? You love it, right? When you're coming home from work at about 1030 at night, you see those big signs. Four lanes shut down on the Palmetto. It's like midnight. You're in a traffic jam. You're like, how can this be? And we can feel that. We can feel discouraged. But God is saying, be encouraged. My will will be done. My will will be done. God's plan is for the nations to draw the nations to his people and his house. And it's going to happen. And the reason we must, we must learn God's ways. Listen, the reason we go to small group studies, the reason we go to hear about prayer. And if you haven't heard it yet, go online and hear it as soon as it's on there. When we did that Saturday night B45 thing. And then after we heard the lesson, listen, we then prayed because learning in God's kingdom always leads to living. It's not just learning for learning's sake, but it's learning to live. Listen, I'm going to teach you my way, says God, so that. So that you may walk in my paths. Jesus says, I want you to go and teach them to observe. Don't just teach them. Teach them to observe. I'm not just a good teacher. I'm not just a wise, you know, professorial person who could kind of maybe help your life if you choose to, to follow it. No, no. I'm the Lord. So teach them to observe. He's going to conform us into the image of Christ. That's for sure. And he's going to conform us to be his house. That's for sure. And it may take a while. Sorry. Sorry if it's your bedroom we've been working on for 22 years. (laughs) Or whatever bedroom you like. Or you're part of the house that you would love to have a little differently at Palm Vista. It's just not exactly what I would like. Okay, I'm sorry. Me neither. But God's working on it. And some of us take a little longer than others to get things right in some areas. And you you know what the thing about God is? He does it perfectly. His standards are perfect. Thank God. Thank God he's not skimping on the product and he's not skimping on the quality. He's the master builder, master painter, master carpenter, master whatever you window maker, window maker, window installer. I don't know. Roof putter on her. He's just the best. He's the best. All right. So Israel. So that's 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 the first part of our sermon. This is. Israel, this is what you're supposed to be. Now, the second part of the sermon, from chapter 2, verse 6, all the way to chapter 4, verse 1, is God saying, but you're not what I built. So we're not going to be able to go into that one in as much detail. But the essence of that second part is this point. Rely on the Lord. 
So if you look at verse 22, you'll see the second imperative. It's in the negative, and he uses the word regarding, but Isaiah 2.22, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? If we rely on man, and by primarily what does that mean? It means that I rely on myself, self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, you know, just self, or I rely on the world and its ways. So instead of teaching the world God's ways, I learn the world's ways. And that can happen in the church masquerading as religiosity. I start putting on rooms based on what I think. I start building a pool based upon I want a pool. I, I start building it to, well, I know how to do this, right? The, the age old, your wife says, honey, there are instructions in that. Ah, I don't need the instructions. And God says, there are instructions. Nah, I don't need instructions. And so we don't pull a permit because it takes too long and it's expensive. We don't build the code. And we build whatever in the world we want to build. Thank you very much. And God oftentimes lets us do it in our personal lives and, and also in the church. And then guess what he does? Because he's faithful to himself and his glory. And he, and he loves us. It's for his glory and our good. What does he do? He sends in the team. It's time to restore. And they knock down that whole extension you put in. You never asked permission. You didn't do it to code. And it's unsafe. So that's what happened to Israel. So I just want to highlight a couple of verses. Just look at it with me. Um, look at uh, 2.6. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob. This is Isaiah now prophesying. God is the you. Because they are full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the Philistines. And they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. Verse 8. They bow down to the work of their hands. Remember Ahaz, one of the kings, was striking a, a, a treaty, a military treaty with the king of Assyria because he was afraid of these other kings. And of course when you strike a treaty back then, what do you have to do? Worship that guy's idols. And anyway, I'm sure Ahaz is going, look, 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 look. Don't worry about it. We're just getting their military help. I'll just pretend I'm bowing down to his idols. That's how it starts. What idols are you bowing down to? Am I bowing down to? Do we bow down to as a church? God is so faithful to knock on the door and say, it's that, it's right over there. No, not that one. That's the pool. I love the pool. <laughs> Verse 9. So man is humbled and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Verse 10. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust. Oh yeah, the dust is flying. From before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. He's prophesying now what's going to happen when the Babylonians come in, the Assyrians come in to restore Israel by first knocking Israel down. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of man shall be humbled. And the Lord alone, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Stop regarding man. And the breath of his nostrils just say he's temporary. I think Markle shared, you know, money is, it's important, but it's temporary. What's eternal is God and his will and his house and his plan. Jump down to chapter 2, or excuse me, over to chapter 3, verse 1. This is now how the house of God has been messed up with all these faulty you know, projects they put on. And, and he breaks it down in Israel into their, their religious life. Their worship has become idolatrous in chapter 3, verse 1, all the way um, to verse 
20, I believe. And then in the next part, chapter 3, verse 21, I think, all the way to chapter 4, verse 1, in their social life. Okay, so it had totally made their worship idolatrous and their society immoral and unjust. But just listen to it. For behold, verse 3-1, the, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water. This is now the coming judgment. They're going to be under siege. It's going to be a horrible time. The mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet and diviner and the elder, he's going to take those away. The captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor and the skillful magician and the expert in charms. And listen to verse 4. This, this is chilling to me. And I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them. And the people will oppress one another, everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. Jump down to verse 8 of chapter 3. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord. Remember he said, learn my ways to walk in my paths. He said, no, no, you've not learned my ways. Your speech, your speech and your deeds are against the Lord. You defy his glorious presence you do opposite of what i say and you lift up those that do likewise verse 9 for the look on their faces bears witness against them they proclaim their sin like sodom and they do not hide it woe to them for they have brought evil on themselves The end of chapter 3. Instead of perfume, there will be, verse 24, 324. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness. All right, imagine a beautiful perfume. I like Lagerfeld. It's not a perfume, it's a cologne. Now, imagine rottenness. I know, that's harder to imagine. Putricity. And instead of a belt, a rope. They can't even afford a belt. And instead of well-set hair, and I believe it's speaking of women here, baldness. And instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth and branding instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in the battle and your gates shall lament and mourn. Empty she shall sit on the ground and seven women shall take hold of one man on that day saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. This is describing the restoration process God is going to put his people through. But, oh, friends, it does not end there. Isaiah is filled with incredible judgment, incredible, heart-wrenching, stunning, violent judgment. And it's filled with incredible restoration and incredible hope. It's the fifth gospel. Jesus is here. And he's in chapter 4, verse 2. It's in chapter 4, verse 2, which moves us to point 3. The Lord restores us. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its myths by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion 
And over his assemblies, a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory, there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the night and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. For Israel in 700 BC, that phraseology I just read, cloud and booth and flame and all that, speaks of the exodus which occurred in 1400 BC. Reminds them that I took you out of Egypt and led you by the cloud and led you by the flame. But he's saying to them, I'm going to do a reverse exodus in a couple of years here. I'm going to take you out of the land and put you into Babylon, but I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to restore you because my purpose stands because I'm faithful to myself and my glory. And I'm going to do this for your good. My remnant, my people, my elect, my chosen. That's who he's talking about here when he says in verse 3 of chapter 4, and he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, that's the book of life. How can they be made holy if they're filthy? Jesus, the branch in verse 2. Jesus, who will come 700 years later, and he will give his life on the cross, and he will become filthy. Jesus, whose blood we celebrated in communion, will take away the blood stains on our lives and will clean our lives up and clean our church up. And he will remodel us and he will knock down those places where we've relied on man. Where we fought. You want to know where you're relying on man? Just start with conflict right there. That's going to tell you some faulty wiring. You know? Yeah, it is. When you do the remodeling, you know, you flip the, the switch for the light and the microwave turns on, you know. Whoop, <laughs> maybe I didn't do that quite right. Conflict can highlight for you a place where God wants to, wants to restore it. Who are you fighting with and why? Or maybe where we've relied on man for our identity. It's easy to do for all of us. We often derive our identity in what we do, our professions, our job, uh, our grades if we're going to school, uh, our relationships. And if we've got a lot of good relationships, then our identity is secure. But if we seem to fail in relationship after relationship, or, or maybe if you're single, you're not married yet, and you just can somehow feel like this is my identity. Or, or, or if your job's not going well, this is my identity. Or, or we'll do anything. We'll make an alliance with Assyria. Just tell me I'm good, man. Affirm me. I, I get my identity from what I do. And God puts his finger on it and says, we've got to knock that one down. We've got to rewire that one. We've got to put in a new electrical panel there. Or maybe, maybe you get your identity in, in a certain number in your bank account or your retirement account. See, God comes in to restore where we're relying on man, where, 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 where we're overly impressed by the greatness of man. I'm tempted in this. It's good to acknowledge wonderful, wonderful feats. I love sports. I'm impressed by sports feats. You might be impressed with business. You're impressed by the wonderful businessman or businesswoman. Maybe politics, the great politician. There are a few. There are, and we need them. We don't need children leading us or infants. Pray for them. Maybe you're impressed with the, you know, the barons of industry, the great innovators, and it's it's cool. But don't be impressed by them over God. Their breath is in their nostril. They will soon be gone with their invention and their riches and their sporting um, achievements. Uh, it's sad. I, I often 
listen to interviews of NFL players who now are in their 50s and 60s. Most of them can't even hardly walk anymore. And what they look like is, is sad. All right, don't judge me for this, okay? The other day I said, baby, I've got the perfect romantic movie to watch. First time ever in our marriage that I suggest a romantic movie. You're going to laugh at me when I tell you which one it is. The Way We Were with Barbara Streisand. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly, Ralph. You've lost all respect for me, haven't you? But you know what was stunning to me? Was to see Robert Redford and... uh, What's her name? Thank you, Barbara Streisand. I'm losing it, man. The wiring's a little bit off. (laughs) What they look like in that movie and what they look like today... I mean, I, me too. Okay, look, what I look like then, what I look like today, right? I think it was in the 70s. I, think. I don't care how good looking you are. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care what a great athlete you are. I don't care how great your business is going. I don't care how beautiful your car is. There will come a day when it doesn't look like that. But the beauty of the Lord never fades. Stop relying on the beauty that the world wants to give you and rely on the beauty of the Lord. Stop relying on the, on, on the glory that the, Lord, the world wants to give you and rely on the glory of the Lord because that one never fades. You can, you can acknowledge it. You can appreciate it. I'm going to appreciate some, some great beauty today, this afternoon, athletic prowess. But it will fade for all those people. You understand that, right? Oh, I don't know. Brady, man, that guy still keeps playing at 40. That's ridiculous. It will fade one day, okay, Patriot boy? All right. <laughs> All right. The Lord restores us, so rely on him. Rely on him even when the dust is flying in your life and in this church. And it's hot and the AC's not working and we can't use the stove. There is no stove and there is no sink and the cabinets are being renewed and everything's a mess. He, he's restoring us. You got that? He's restoring us. So what's the appeal? It's got to be this. It's got to be these two imperatives. We have to walk in the light of the Lord. That means learning his ways so that we might walk in his paths. How do you do that? Get practical with me, Al. Well, you're doing it right now if you're here. And if you're not here and listening to it, thank you for listening to this, to both of you. You do it as you learn his ways in private Bible study. Every morning, just get up and say, Lord... I want to build this extension of my house or the patio or lay a slab of foundation or put in a little roof according to my way. But no, what, what are your ways? You do it when you go to small group and study. Ladies, you're studying Breaking Free, which is a study on the book of Isaiah. Guys, we're going to be meeting for the men's um, camp out um, um, March 14th to 16th at Markham Park. And the theme for this year is how to be a spirit-led man. Our talks are going to be, what does it mean to be a spirit-led man? You need to come out to that. Just take the days off. Take half a day off on Thursday, all day off on Friday, 14, 15, 16. We're going to, around the campfire, we're going to have four talks on what it means to be a spirit-led man. But, but, but listen, to learn his ways is one thing. Now to walk in his path, then I need you to walk it out with me. 
That's why we do small groups. However you do your small groups, community groups, youth, equip, um, 20 somethings, uh, just a Bible study somewhere, the ladies group. But you, you need people in your life to help you walk it out. I need people. The other day I had a conversation with one of our members. Actually, it was yesterday on the phone. He just said to me, Al, sometimes I think, why am I doing all this? Is it worth it? I said, yeah, me too, last week. So we're encouraging each other to walk it out. Why? Because God's will is that he would draw the nations to himself through us. So we pray for the nations. We reach out to the nations. Pray for Kevin. He's going to Guatemala on Thursday, I believe. He'll be there for a week. Um, reach out to the nations around you. So that's walking in the light of the Lord. And secondly, we have to rely on him. One of the things that happened to Israel when they relied on man is that they were humiliated. So where are you relying on man? Here's another one. Where are you humiliated? Where have you run into that wall, cut your head open, and are lying on the ground, and everybody's pointing at you laughing? That may be a place where you've been relying on man. Ask God where you are functionally looking to for greatness, true greatness. Is it in man or God? Church, God is faithful to restore us because he's faithful to his name, to his glory, to his will, and also for our own good to fulfill his call on us to reach the nations through us. Let's pray. There's not going to be time We had those presentations earlier. It's not going to be time for a song, but I do want to bless you after the prayer. But please bow your head in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would encourage the person in this room right now who's been under a restoration project for quite a while, maybe in their marriage. Walls have been knocked out. Wiring has been pulled out. Electrical panels are being exchanged. It seems like it's never-ending. They want to quit. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, do not let them quit. Lord, thank you for for people that are meeting even now to talk about marriage. Lord, for that single who's just so discouraged. God, will you ever bring a spouse into my life? I'm tired of your project. I'm going to go build something out back that's not to code. I'm not going to pull a permit. Lord, keep them from that idolatrous relationship and immoral relationship that they're tempted to enter into. In the name of Jesus. Lord, for that parent their child, that child with their parent. Give them hope. You are restoring them to your will because that parent-child relationship, that family is exactly the lighthouse you are restoring to beam out to our culture with so many broken parents and children relationships. Oh God, give them hope. Deliver us from the evil one. Give us strength, Lord, here at Palm Vista. Thank you for the seven-year restoration project. Oh, thank you. Thank you for those that have hung in there, Lord. May they have a smile on their face and faith in their heart as they walk over the construction that's still in a lot of the rooms with a vision of the ultimate prize and destiny in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand quietly and receive this blessing. This is a blessing for the Christian in Christ. You ready? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, he's with us, be yours, church, today because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more resources or see how you can donate to this ministry, simply visit palmvista.org. And be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming teachings. 